The first trial of the former officers charged in the killing of George Floyd is underway. Police officers are rarely prosecuted in such cases, and the world will be watching. The Minnesota Public Radio newsroom, which has followed this case in detail from the beginning, will bring listeners updates on this monumental trial and the consequences it holds for the city and the country. Listen to In Front of Our Eyes wherever you listen to podcasts. This is 74 Seconds. I'm Tracy Mumford. This was a full day of jury deliberations in the trial of Officer Geronimo Yanez. Uh, we only heard from the jury once, that was early this morning, when they put in a request with the judge to watch both the dash cam video and Diamond Reynolds' Facebook Live video again. After watching them, they returned to deliberations, and today ended without a verdict. There are a lot of people waiting outside the courtroom to hear. Uh, our reporter, Reham Fashir, was over there all day, and she caught up with Pastor Danny Givens. Pastor Danny Givens, Black Lives Matter clergy liaison, Minneapolis. You'll remember him from earlier in the podcast. And Reham asked him about what happens next. What happens when we get a verdict? And I would say the most important thing that's going to happen after this verdict, whichever way it goes, is that we're first and foremost going to wrap our arms around Valerie Castile and her family. Before we move and do anything in this community on behalf of her family, we got to make sure that we move and have action for them. We've been checking in with other activists about this same question. What happens after the verdict, whatever it might be? There's talk of a gathering at the state capitol, which is only a mile and a half from the courthouse. It's right up the street from our office. And obviously the tone of that gathering will be shaped by the jury's decision. Last summer, demonstrations and protests happened all over the Twin Cities after Philando Castile's death. People camped outside the governor's mansion. They marched in the streets. They took over a Falcon Heights city council meeting. There was a children's march. And Castile's family handed out cupcakes at a street festival to mark what would have been his 33rd birthday. These gatherings were largely peaceful, but they were big and they were frequent. Streets had to be shut down. Crowds had to be managed. The St. Paul police were there for a lot of this. St. Paul is home to the governor's mansion, the state capitol, and the courthouse, where our reporters are waiting for the verdict, and a crowd of other reporters, and TV cameras, and the public. We wanted to know how a city prepares for a verdict in a high-profile trial of a police officer like this one. The St. Paul police actually created a new unit last year in response to the rising number of protests of all kinds around the city. They call it the Special Operations Unit. Uh, my name is Joshua Legault. I'm a commander for the St. Paul Police Department. It's led by Josh Legault, and it was founded to ensure people's right to safe public assembly and expression and to provide what Legault describes as a layered response from police when protests happen. I sat down with him to find out what that means. The first layer, he explained, you don't even notice. The vast majority of the assemblies that have taken place uh, since I've been assigned here and prior to my assignment in this office, nobody has seen us because there wasn't an issue related to behavior. The police response increases, he said, when things escalate with crowds. When there is any uh, rise in emotion 
when people begin to shout, if there's any physical contact, that's when you're going to see police officers because we're focused on public safety. We're focused on um, uh, protecting property. We're focused on um, uh, addressing uh, criminal violence, not the content of speech. One of the highest layers of police response, that is what we saw on I-94 last summer, when protesters shut down the highway less than a week after Philando Castile was killed. After the shutdown, things turned tense between people in the crowds and police, and some of those people in the crowds started to throw things at the officers. Um, I found out after the incident that my wife and three children were watching the news because they were wrapped with attention. And my youngest daughter says, is that daddy with the stripes on her, his helmet? Because they've seen my equipment. And my wife says, well, yeah, I think that is. I think that is Josh. And that was just before the pyrotechnic went off, just 10 feet behind me. And my wife turned off the television and put the kids to bed. Personally, I was hit by a chunk of concrete bigger than both of my fists put together. Um, we had more than 20 officers injured uh, by the, the end of that circumstance. And it was that behavior and the real threat of violence with six-foot-long two-by-fours and rebar because the group chose to stop in the middle of a construction area that caused us then to bring out these specialty devices, the smoke canisters, the uh, distraction devices that make a loud boom. Um, those weren't automatically taken out because, well, this is how we deal with it. How we deal with it is in that layered response so that really to not consider every assembly a nail that we always bring a hammer to. That's not what we're after. I asked Legault what this was like to be a police officer monitoring crowds who are angry with police. He emphasized that their response is never about content. It doesn't matter if people are carrying signs like abolish the police or shouting in officers' faces. Our officers are trained to understand that when people are expressing themselves in that critical way towards us, it's because they're feeling pain or concern or worry. And with that understanding, we see the humanity behind uh, the pain. And it's the acknowledgement that they're not wrong. This is their opinion. They're allowed to say it. And then, again, we rely on, on behavior, not the words that are spoken. I also asked Lego specifically about the verdict that's about to come down and if his unit is preparing in any way. He said it's business as usual. We're in a um, standard operating procedure right now. Uh, nothing special is going on. Um, it's true that we, in special operations, will monitor the courthouse and walk through the city offices to let everybody know that we're there because this is a big deal. And yet, um, depending on what happens at the conclusion of the trial, we will see certain behaviors. And really, that's, that's when we take our cue. St. Paul is not the only police department that we asked about this. We checked in with police departments and sheriff's offices around the Twin Cities. Maplewood, a St. Paul suburb, went so far as to issue a note to its staff. Paul Schnell, the chief at the time who has since retired, wrote, Out of an abundance of concern, law enforcement agencies are beginning to develop and in some instances finalize plans in the event of civil unrest following the trial. Schnell told his officers that the department wasn't accepting any new requests for time off around the trial and that all officers need to be properly fitted for gas masks. When we asked the St. Anthony police chief, John Mangseth, who is Officer Geronimo Yanez's boss, 
He said, I don't know what to anticipate following the trial or during the trial. We have to be ready in case something happens. It's important to note that there have been no protests during the trial. Not at the courthouse, not anywhere. Valerie Castile, ever since the first few days after her son's death, has been adamant about letting the case work its way through the system without any disruption. And people have listened. We will be back with you when we get a verdict. It could happen tomorrow, it could not. We just don't know at this point. For complete coverage of the trial, follow us on Twitter at 74SecondsMPR or go online to 74seconds.org. Twitter is the first place that you'll hear from us about a verdict, and we'll bring you reaction when we can. 74 Seconds is a production of NPR News and American Public Media. Tracy from 74 Seconds, and we wanted to let you know that our colleagues at APM Reports just launched the new season of their award-winning podcast, In the Dark. In this second season, they explore a new story with life-or-death consequences. It's the case of four people who were killed in a small town in Mississippi, and the story of why a black man on death row has been tried six times for those murders. You can listen and subscribe to In the Dark on Apple Podcasts.